Things change from one generation to the next. Attitudes, politics, technology, even lifestyles. But when it comes to business, there's one thing every generation has in common. The pursuit of excellence. Welcome to Generation Excellence. A conversation with next-gen leaders of family businesses who are working to preserve the past and innovate the future. And now, here's the host of Generation Excellence and a third-generation business owner himself, Jamie Michelson. Jamie? The Generation Excellence podcast has been on a hiatus as I've had some health issues. Could say I was less than excellent, but we're back. Just as Succession is back on HBO, and how appropriate with my guest John Carter, the founder and CEO of Absolute Succession. John is an attorney, has worked in mergers and acquisitions, and now is a business transition advisor. He brings subject matter expertise to the table for business owners and those in the next gen who are exploring, considering, discussing, planning, and executing the moves that set the business up properly for the road ahead. Let's get resolute with John Carter of Absolute Succession. Well, welcome, John Carter, to the Generation Excellence podcast. I thank you for taking your time out of your running around day to do this. Um, and is, and we're going to talk about your business and your experience and your expertise and all that stuff. Um, so you are the founder, creator, leader of Absolute Succession in the Southeast Michigan area, but with clients all over. So Tell, tell, because I don't know the full story. Tell me about your, you know, your, as an attorney, you saw a space, but, or a blue ocean or a red bloody ocean. I don't know. What was your original vision for, for absolute succession and, and kind of maybe and how it's evolved since you founded it? Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, it really is kind of like a blue Pacific ocean. Um, so I would say approximately, I don't know, <clears throat> eight or nine years ago, as uh, I was working as an MA attorney, working uh, to buy and sell businesses, I realized that most companies that I would say that are, that are really under a threshold of roughly anywhere from 20 to, three, 20 to 30 million in revenue, most of those businesses never sold well, uh, meaning that the sellers, when they were done with the transaction, they never actually got the money they needed. They got never got the terms they wanted. They never got the the freedom from the business, right? That they anticipated. Mm -hmm. And uh, I kept seeing this situation over and over again in all different types of industries and all different sizes of companies. And as I started investigating and peeling this onion back, I realized that there were some common themes in these businesses, prim primarily that they were really never built to be sold. They were never, they didn't really have the business infrastructure in place that could be transferred to a buyer or a successor, um, which led me to start looking at why. And, and from there, I really kind of transcended into this world of exit planning, which is really kind of an evolving industry today. Okay. And, you know, as exit planners, our mission in life is not to facilitate a transaction between a buyer and a seller, but really um, what we do is we help sellers build that business infrastructure uh, and prepare their businesses years in advance from when the time is that they get ready to sell a tra transition. And, and in doing so, they actually have a much greater opportunity of getting the money they need, uh, leaving the business when and how they want, and then ultimately selling in a transition to whom they choose. Got right. It. 
and we call those the, the universal goals and objectives, right? Um, that's the euphoria for all business owners is to be able to really exit their business on their terms. Okay. And, and so, as you know, this podcast, I'm focused on kind of capturing the stories, both business and family and emotion of generational businesses, which some do sell and get acquired and whatever, but many are, you know, trying to continue on into future generations. So do you find yourself advising and in those kind of organizations, helping them navigate that? Yeah, I would say probably more than half of the okay. the businesses we work with are family Great. businesses or those that have um, a need to continue the legacy of right. the business. Right. And so for the so for the group that is continuing the the legacy, which is a, you know, and as longer that legacy goes, the more there's a lot of stuff loaded onto that, good and bad. Is is that do you you know the universal goals objective? I mean, is it pretty much the same process you follow, or is there like what's what's different for that half of the ledger? Well, it is the same process. We still okay. ask the same three questions. Yeah. Um, but what's different, obviously, is there's more emphasis. I would say there's much greater emphasis on that third question, which is, you know, who is your ideal successor? Mm-hmm. Um, in the family business context, what we normally see is owners who have had their children uh, we, we called them the business active children, the BACs. Okay. Uh, they'd had business active children in the company for years, um, interestingly, but generally have never had the conversation with them about ownership or what that would look uh-huh. like or how that would transpire. And so when we go into the process of building a transition plan and, and we ask those questions in the family business environment, there's a lot more emphasis and time spent on working out that third question, right? Because you to be candid with you, Jamie, most business owners that have family businesses have more than one child. Uh, it's not to say that all of the children work in the business, right? Uh, but they have more than one child. And so they're always struggling with this question of uh, fairness. And is, does fairness constitute equality? Which it generally does not. But so that, that third question around who is the successor is, is the big issue. Great. And I mean, you know, it, I am one of two, I have two siblings. I have three siblings, but two of them business active children in our agency. And, and I, I and so we've gone through, you know, the evaluation and that process that determined a little bit of who does what. So absolutely can relate. Let's take a step back. You talked about, you know, seeing that space, who, who or what was your first client as you started absolute succession? Like, you don't have to name the name or the general industry, but like what, what um, it's like a retail store. They have that frame dollar, you know, behind the register. Like what, what, who got you started? Who, who was your wow. sort of first leap? Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, um, <clears throat> I think um, thinking back a while, it's been a while. Cause you know, can and, and, and when, and when was that? Well, you know, truthfully, I've been doing succession planning for for many years. You know, I did it as an attorney, but I'm just thinking back at some of the earlier cases that I used to work on. Um, Most of them were predominantly family businesses. Um, And one that comes to mind specifically was a case where um, mom and dad had had the business for years. They had started it, I want to say, back in the 70s. And um, 
it was an interesting company. It was a distributor. They used to distribute certain products from Sears, Sears and Roebuck, if you uh-huh. remember Sears. Sure. Um, and so they were kind of a middleman distributor. Well, for the young listeners, that was Amazon of its time. Okay. Yeah, that was that was yeah. right, right. 70, 60s, 50s, 60s, and 70s. Uh, so they had a really nice niche business where they used to distribute products primarily over the holiday season. Because if you remember the Sears and Roebuck catalog, you know, the big season was, was the Christmas season, the holiday season. I kind of remember that. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, but anyways, they had, I believe three children that were in the business. And when they came to us, they came to me, they were trying to figure out, you know, how do you divvy up the pie? Mm -hmm. Again, this question of fairness being equal. And the story goes that, you know, um, one of them ended up going to college and really had no interest in the business. But the other two um, were very interested. They were very competitive with each other. Um, and <clears throat> they couldn't work it out. You know, the, the two siblings couldn't really work out who was ultimately going to end up with the company. So it turned out that mom and dad worked tirelessly to figure out a solution so that they could both coexist together. Uh, it ended up being that um, they had to actually hire Mom and dad had to hire a third party, a general manager to come in and run the business and to be kind of the uh, the gatekeeper, if you will. They ended up becoming the, the mediator between the two children uh, because the parents realized they couldn't play that role because they were too emotionally tied right. to both kids. Right. So that was kind of a great example of an early case for me that, that resonated <clears throat> because it told me that the challenges in any business succession are not necessarily the financial challenges. Right. They are really the interpersonal dynamic challenges um, that usually are not thought through or dealt with until almost all the way until the the owners are ready to get out of the business. Yeah. yeah. And like in this case, a lot of times it's either too late or it's very hard uh, to get out on your terms if you really haven't laid the groundwork. And this case is a great example where the parents had not laid the groundwork. And when we got involved and I got involved, the siblings were already, you know, um, pretty much, you know, at wit's end with each other. And so it was it was at a point of desperation where they needed to bring a third party in. So, you know, the old expression, I mean, you talk about the groundwork, you know, it's never too early to plant a tree or maybe it's too late or whatever. But so what should and I mean, again, we're focused on more of the generational businesses and the legacy businesses where there's that family component, at least for this podcast. And because, well, HBO is fascinated with it called succession and movies are, and I mean, it's, there can be drama there. What, what should those business leaders that are in those kind of, those kind of organizations, what should they be thinking about and talking about right now? You mean with their children in the business or I guess with each other as management group, a leadership group, a board group, you know, all those hats with with with, you know, sort of the one generation to the next one after it. Um, Yeah. What 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 would you advise them? I mean, if they could do it and not beat around the bush and get to the matter at hand or they may need an advisor to help surface the stuff. But what should they be thinking about talking about? Yeah. The one word that comes to mind over and over again is objectivity. Okay. And what I mean by that is the parents and the owners need to be thinking how they can uh, be very objective, right, about the eligibility and the criteria for future ownership mm-hmm. and establishing guidelines and boundaries around how that process works. 
So think of it as two things, Jamie. Number one, what are the requirements? And then number two, how do you establish that process, right? How do people get to that place? Um, and those are two different questions. You know, eligibility is, you know, what do you have to establish? What do you have to do? What's your commitment in terms of being eligible to own the business? And then the second question relates to, well, how does that work? How do you facilitate that? What's the process for getting there? And in the family business context, the problem we see time and time again, I mean, the word nepotism, right? rears its ugly head because mom and dad love their children. Presumably they love them all the same and they want all of them to share in the fruits of their work. The problem is that dynamic doesn't work in a business setting. Right. Right. And so um, the one advice I would give the one piece of advice I would give owners, especially family owners is think about how you can objectively lay the groundwork for your children or whoever your successors are going to be. And I mean, any um, tricks of the trade for doing that, for example, you know, don't do it at Thanksgiving dinner. Like, is it a, is it a separate meeting than the board meeting? Is it a separate meeting? Is it a, is it a, you do have someone else in the room that helps keep things level keel? I mean, what, what, um, cause this stuff can get either it can, I mean, some places very smooth and they can have the conversations, other places it can get supercharged and, or, or, or just never gotten to. Um, you know, and that's why I'm sticking at this podcast, you know, to sort of keep it surfaced and try to avoid sort of those disaster stories. But um, any thoughts on how to just keep it objective or get to that? Oh, yeah. Yeah. There's there's a lot of thoughts, right? There's a lot (laughs) of things. You know, it's kind of a loaded question, right? There's a lot of things to do to keep it objective. I I guess some of the key guidelines that come to mind for me are um, establishing what are the um, requirements for being eligible, Right. And generally, those will consist of, number one, working in the industry for some period of time outside of the business, outside the family business. So that really forces the kids to cut their teeth either with a competitor or somewhere else where they really learn the business under somebody else's roof. So that would be one guideline. The other one got the other guideline is that once they come into the family business, they have to work for a non-family member, meaning they report to a non-family member for a period of time. Yeah, it's wonderful. Then- you're, you're reinforcing some things that have come up. I mean, you know, each of these are unique cases and there's, you know, while you can have um, plans and punch lists and checklists, stuff still has to be a little fluid, you know, right? Different business, different. But yeah, that idea of outside experience, improving oneself somewhere else, and then when, when coming into, you know, the next gens coming into these family organizations to be able to work in a few areas, but work for someone who's not family and, and uh, all of those, all of those things that are really meant to be good for all parties involved. Right. right. Yeah. And then the last one that's kind of ten, tangential with that, I would, would say is when they come into the business, they have to start at ground zero or a mm-hmm. place where everybody else would come in with their skills and knowledge. So for instance, you know, if the child just graduated from college and they're coming in at age 21, 22, and they really don't have much experience, they can't come in as the quote unquote vice president of something, right? They have to come in. No shortcuts. No shortcuts. They have to come in at a level that anybody else would come in who was not family. Because, you know, the, the main thing we're trying to avoid is nepotism. We're trying to avoid the perception of nepotism. And, in the organization. 
and define, you know, terminology is really important in your, any world, right? Succession, continuity, all these words that aren't exactly all the same. So when you, when you say nepotism, which is usually a loaded word, not generally positive, and one that even 30 some episodes into this hasn't come up very often because we're talking about other things. You, you, what do you mean by that? That's more the loaded version of nepotism. Yeah, it's, I think of nepotism as one of the uh, cancers that kills a family business faster than than really anything. Nepotism, in my opinion, is uh, it's a culture. It's a culture created by the parent owners of the business, okay. whereby whereby without merit, you know, they they apply favorable rules, opportunities, and Thank benefits. You. Right. You know, opportunities, rules and benefits to their children that are not necessarily provided to the non-family members. Okay. And the real problem in this scenario, you know, I use the word cancer and I don't mean to certainly compare it to a deadly disease. No, but, no we talk in sports. Right. We talk about cancer right. in the locker room. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But but the effect that it has, the negative effect that it has in the organization is it really poisons the waters with the non-family members, sure. right? So, and again, I think of it as the key employees in the organization who are not family successors, um, who are generally vital to the future success of the business. Um, once they believe they're living in a world of nepotism, it's only a matter of time before they find themselves out of the business. So I have seen cases where owners have had very thriving businesses, strong organizations, good key employee programs, and then they bring their children in the wrong way. And within a short period of time, uh, they have attrition problem on their hands because they can't retain key employees and they don't know why. Yeah. Well, yeah. And it's, and it's not because they're paying them less or they've done anything specifically. It's just, they've changed the dynamic and the culture of the dynamic. organization because they brought yeah. their kids. In. The opposite yeah. of meritocratic and, 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 exactly. and, 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 you know, one of the, I mean, Again, leading a family business that's 92 years now, one of the things very conscious of is what are the what are the opportunities, the paths for everybody, including people we're trying to hire like crazy right now. So that that's great. Let's flip it around because it's very easy to go, you know, as a Star Wars fan, it's very easy to go to the dark side when you start right. to deal with some of this stuff. But there's so many success stories and and so many celebrated businesses that exceed that, you know, shirt sleeves to shirt sleeves in three generations, they're not going to make it, that, that deal with this stuff well. So talk about maybe a few examples of some ones where your counsel, your expertise has helped them get better, get bigger, do great things. Like, let's celebrate the good stuff too a little. Yeah. Well, you know, the best examples I can think of uh, in terms of family or intergenerational transfers are companies that have done a super job of valuing culture and have valuing, uh, you know, really creating, I would say, a performance-based culture in the organization. It kind of goes back to that objectivity concept I was describing. Uh, I can think of a case specifically a couple of years ago that I worked on uh, on the west side of the, of, of the state of Michigan that was family-owned. It was in the furniture industry, and, and they had um, – three or four different business active children in the company. And this is an example where, you know, we created what's called um, a, an internal operations board known as the IOB. And the internal operations board was a governance structure that we implemented that consisted of family and non-family key employees. 
And the magic of this concept was that it really forced the younger um, children in the business to learn the operations from the seasoned key employees who are non-family members. Great. And it allowed them to cut their teeth in an environment where they could learn from the non-family members, but also had autonomy and decision-making authority on the board. And so what happened, the outcome of this was that there was true synergy between the non-family and the family members. And there was also greater levels of productivity, higher profitability. Um, So this IOB or internal operations board is a great example where it's it's a great tool actually that can be used in a family business situation that requires uh, family members and non-family members to work together. Yeah, no, that sounds smart. I'm loving some of your acronyms. So absolute succession, your business, your organization, are you generally engaged by the more senior generations when we're dealing with these kind of businesses? Or sometimes you brought in by the next gen who's trying to get some stuff figured out? Yeah, that's a great question. And I would say it's probably 50-50. Oh, good. Okay. In fact, we were just talking about this amongst ourselves uh, last week. Interestingly, um, during the COVID, you know, one of the outcomes of the COVID experience, what we're seeing is that, you know, um, there are a lot more businesses that are quote unquote for sale today than there were, let's say, 18 months ago. And it's, it's really because we're seeing a lot of the boomers now, the baby boomers who went through COVID, they went through this snap and they rebounded and they're saying, wow, you know, we're not really sure we want to go through this again. It was my, my next question was just, yeah. what are you seeing different in attitudes yep. and actions of these people because of all the social, environmental health, all of this stuff that hit everybody at the same time? Yeah. Yeah. So the consequence of that, I would say, is that we're getting more calls today from the, uh, the second gens right? The 30 and 40 year olds who are in the business who may not yet have an ownership interest, but they're the future successors. And they're saying, Hey, mom and dad are running out of gas, mm-hmm. right? Mom and dad don't have the toleration for this. the last mom year. The last year or two was five yep. or 10 years. We need to accelerate some things. Exactly. Exactly. Okay. So, so I would say the outcome, what I'm seeing now is it's a combination of both, but more um, second gens that are reaching out saying, Hey, we need to move this process quicker because mom and dad are running on a steam steam that they had 18 months ago. They do not have it today. And consequently, we don't really have a stake in the business yet. And so we're kind of hanging in the balance, right? It's leaving this sense of uncertainty and and, and anxiety. There's a sense of anxiety with the second gens because they don't yet own the business, but they're, but they're responsible for its outcome and success. They're, you know, they're kind of stuck. Um, so anyways, that's one of the things we're and, seeing and, right now. And so for clarity, when you say, you know, you're brought in or you're contacted and you talked about, you know, cause you're, you've got M and a background and you talk about sale and transactions in some cases, what you're saying is you do this ideal successor and even others can be in the succession group that that sale or that transaction might be as simple as just a structure that allows the next gen to buy the interest into the business or be transferred the shares. It doesn't mean they're just, they're selling it to some PE firm, right? No, not at all. You know, I think of it this way, Jamie, 
in the world of succession, there's what are known as internal transfers, and then there are external transfers. Okay. And a good way I would that. say that what we're talking about here are internal transfers. Right. Generally, a combination of either gifting strategies mm-hmm. and or what we call, you know, leveraged buyouts or installment buyouts, where the the second gens, the family members and or the key employees, for that matter, they are buying into the business over a period of time. And it's it's a great model to use. They and, and what's great about this process is they generally use the free cash flow of the business yes. to buy yep. in. So it's not coming out of their pocket. They don't have to leverage themselves, uh, go into massive debt. So the real variable and the question that we get is, well, in terms of how do you do this? The variable is time. You right. need to have generally at least five I love years. How you're going to my next question before I get there. So I did something right, but keep going, keep going. Yeah, it's uh, to make a good internal transfer work to either family members or key employees, you generally want at least five years. Okay. And, and five years f- to financially afford it, but also to truly transition the management and the leadership of the business. And so again, to be clear, five years, once you kind of figure out those mechanisms, how you're going to do it, five years to do that, but also it takes yes. time to get that all set up and figured out. So how much time should be allotted for that, the planning, the development? Yeah, that's the what we call the runway period. The runway period, is think about pre, it, okay? the runway period is the pre-transfer timeline. Think of it as like a jet airplane, right? That yep. run, goes down the runway before it takes off. Well, so the analogy with the business is you want a runway period of at least a year Great. To prepare the business, prepare the stakeholders, train and develop, get your technology in place, lock down the goodwill. There's a whole checklist of things that we do that we call our, you know, runway related items. Um, Then we're ready to actually begin the transition process, which can generally take, again, at least four to five years. Makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. And and I mean, you know, you know, I'm doing this as someone who lives it in the business serving other clients who also are generational businesses. So I'm surrounded by it, but it's, I'm educating myself in this journey, you know, it's self-education. And, and, and so I think like I'm more at the airport and the taxi ways, not even to the runway yet, you know, so, uh, um, but thinking about things. So stay in that time thing. I'm going to ask about time in one different way, because it's so precious right now. Right. I mean, I think part of a pandemic and other things, People take stock and they start to kind of clean up life and figure some things out. And and so how much or how little time should, you know, family business owners be devoting to just thinking and talking about this subject as if as they get towards runway period? Well, I don't think you can plan and talk about it enough. Candidly, I think the opposite is true, which is that it's not discussed uh, enough. Right. You know, the funny thing about it is. I talk to business owners all over the place and, you know, they're, it's, it's not that they're not aware of the fact that they ultimately have to transition exit. They all do, but it's like the white elephant in the corner, right? Mm-hmm. They generally don't want to address it because, you know, like, like with mortality, yep. most yep. business owners don't like to contemplate, you know, the end of their business life or their end of their business experience. So, you know, you know, it's, it's understandable that they're going to put it off and wait until they have to deal with it. So I always encourage business owners to think about this as kind of an exciting opportunity as opposed to something that's scary or anxious. It should be something that's fun and exciting for them to think about where they want their business to go next 
what their involvement in that will be, and then what does it mean for them when they get there? And I want to mention something else that's really important for listeners. Another statistical piece of information that's really important, something that I learned years ago as I got into this, is a concept called business independence. Okay. And what we mean by business independence is that statistics show that when business owners get around 58 to 60 years of age or north of that, if they don't really have a documented or planned strategy, if you will, for what they're going to do after, they generally don't leave or they leave very begrudgingly, very um, half-heartedly, and the the transfer doesn't go well. So that's kind of a seminal point in age and life. Okay. That's another example of what I would call a runway activity, a pre-transition activity that we do is we work with them. Uh, We actually have a whole team of consultants that we work with outside of Absolute that do nothing but helping owners think about what they're going to do with their time and money, frankly, after they get out of the business. And as crazy as that sounds, it's, it's, it's quite an advent feat because most owners, you know, run and live in their business. That yeah, is their right. hobby for most of them, even though they have families and things. That no, like it's work, do, it's lifestyle. It's defined, right. defines one. Yes. Um, there's so much woven. And, and now the, and is it fair that, I mean, sometimes they say for the founders, that's different than the next generations, just how yes. much that is, you know, com- the, 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 in the bonds of the person. Is that true or? Yes. Yes. I mean, statistically, you know, the the statistics are unfortunate, right? You probably know that there's less than 28%, somewhere around 28% of the second gen succeed from the first. And it's even less than 12 or 13%, I think, from second to third. So the numbers are against us in terms of legacy succession. So again, when we're in that pre-transition period, in that runway period, it's really, really important that we spend a lot of time with the successors, and we talk to them about how they're going to renew the business, how they're going to build the company, how they're going to do it their way. And the reason we do that is they have to be vested in it. That's great. I mean, that, that you know, as I've captured these stories, focusing mostly not on founders, you know, the people that have continued something with some legacy, preserved, protected, stewarded, if you will, these unique businesses, it's that the one universal theme is each of them. And sometimes it's there's sometimes there's two of them, you know, brothers, whatever. They have found a way to make their mark in their period of time and, and honor what was created before them. You know, it's not like, well, they didn't all know what they were doing and I saved it and did this. No, it's just they have their period where they right. did something or some things. Um, yep. And that that's that's exciting. That's what you said. That's the opportunity. Yeah, I mean, really, it goes back kind of the whole idea of how you, again, some of those guidelines in terms of how you bring business active children into the company. It's all premised on them learning the business, number one, learning, you know, what worked for their parents, but also giving them the opportunity to create their own vision and then implement that vision as their parents are transitioning out. So if somebody's listening to this right now, they're, uh, you know, a son, daughter of a um a founder, let's say, of some unique business, then they're in it. They're, a, I love your thing, BAC, they're a business active child, adult child. And, you know, they're, they're like a little frustrated. They're right. They want to get some of this stuff bubbling up and they get a little resistance from, you know, the family members, you know, doing the, 
you're not ready yet, kid, or, or, you know, get, we'll get there. What, what, any, anything that they could or should do, is there, is there some way to kind of get this a little bit more on the table? Well, you mean for the, you mean for the business act of children? Yep. <clears throat> well, I mean, the, the first recommendation is, I mean, they you, can, gotta, you can say, call me. I mean, that's okay. <laughs> well, you know, it's, it's not really so much of a self-serving thing. I, I guess, you know, there, there's a lot of, um, there are a lot of general recommendations, right? I can think of for yeah, or, um, or more, even if it's that special, you know, your superpower, your secret sauce, like what you would advise or what you try to do that might be different than how others approach it. Well, for me, the way I look at it is when we, when I build a transition plan, I'm trying to look at the company holistically mm-hmm. and figure out how can we maximize the value of the organization not only financially, but, you know, culturally as well, right? You're trying to create an environment, an ecosystem, if you will, where the parents feel very comfortable because this is the key thing, right? The parents have to be mentally and emotionally ready to transition another business or they won't. So again, generally we find it's not about the money. It's about the, the mental and emotional readiness of the parents. So as children who are coming into the business, they have to be aware of the fact that they have to come into the business, in my opinion, learn the company, learn the business, the parents' way first, and be able to kind of demonstrate that that they have the wherewithal and the capacity and the interest and the motivation to do it. Yeah. If if they can achieve those goals, if they can essentially do that, they will put their parents mentally and emotionally at ease. And then they're in a position to take on the reins. What we see, unfortunately, a lot of times, Jamie, is that does that's that critical step is missed. Mm. And the child comes into the business, the business actor child is working in the company, and they already have plans on where they're going to run the business. And and a lot of most of the times, you know, they run in they run in interference with what the parents want to do. And that creates this conflict, this instant conflict between the parents and the kids. And so then you're really up against the wall, right? Then you have to work through all of that so yeah because it's kind of like that those plans they have everybody's got you know the best interest of the organization at heart and trying it's just the it's 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 how it's gone about to be able to most smoothly do that and the part of the reason i ask is so your thing's called absolute succession which to an outsider objectively can be kind of a rigid sounding thing you know very much more about the transaction and and the plan and the contracts but Clearly, you spend an incredible amount of time and energy on the the emotion, the culture, the the um, intangible kind of stuff that goes with this, right? Yeah, that's really what it's about. Honestly, I always tell people the actual transaction part of it is almost anticlimactic. Yeah, the the real work that we do, Jamie, is preparing the business and preparing the people. Mm. At the end of the day, the old cliche is true. It really is about the people and the people start the the people piece of it starts with the parents it starts with the owners of the business but then it involves the children and all the other non-family member key employees so you know i i think one of the things that's unique about our approach and and why i love this this business so much is that every business every case if you will is completely different why because the interpersonal dynamics are exactly yes yeah. Yep. And we say the same thing, you know, as an ad agency, every client we have is it's still most of our people powered businesses, but the, the, all the dynamics are different and we have to be able yep. to figure that out for each of those. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, you, you can take two companies, same industry, same size, same revenue, 
and you're going to get completely different totally dynamics, different completely different transition outcomes yep. because I mean, of the people factor. You know, and, and one of the things that's great at our organization is, you know, the two founders to then the next generation, which would be my father and his partner. It wasn't the most smooth of process. There's a lot that went on. It's probably a little bit what you're describing, you know, a group that had some plans and was ready to do some things. The other guys who weren't quite ready for that yet. And so because it was that lessons learned. So then when it came time to do it a generation later, it was smoother because you have some scars Mm -hmm. um, and some learning and, and, and exposure to more stuff. So I guess we're all pretty proud of that. And then that's what's, what's, I mean, the incredible thing about this to me is I do this podcast. I talk to people like you. I think about it as some documents we did and planning we did to get our business from sort of G2 to G3. But we're in that period to be, as I said, taxiway, close to runway to start thinking about G4, which is pretty exciting. Um, Yeah, it's very exciting. And and it's quite an anomaly. That's actually a privilege. Um, I can only think of a small number of businesses that I've known over the last 20 years uh, where there's even been a G3. So that's phenomenal. It's a small, it's a neat club that's, and I'm trying to find them for this pod. And I interviewed a young man, he's sixth generation in an ice cream business in Philadelphia a couple months ago. I mean, they're just, you know, their roots go back to the 1860s. I mean, it's incredible. Just, just one family. I mean, it's, um, so you think about, and they didn't have the benefit of, you know, some of the content that you put out on the internet and all that back in, you know, no. in a, in, in whichever war we were in at the time or something to think about how to be objective and figure out who had the chops to do whatever was next. Yep. Quite, quite a journey. Um, it, you know, so as, as you, you know, continue to evolve your business model and what you do to help organizations where it's, there's a lot of technology and people um, before I get into some rapid fire questions, anything that you're able to do or anything that's happening with technology, technology tools, communication tools that is, that is helping this process at all, or that you're playing with testing. Well, I think, you know, the whole, again, the advent of, you know, through the COVID experience, I think the use of, you know, virtual technology okay. has been huge. Right. I mean, because, you know, let's be honest, so much of what we do, uh, in the value building phase and the planning phase is about people talking and being connected. And it's just good old fashioned communication Okay. at the end of the day. And so any technology that really helps um, clarify and expedite communication is a huge value add in my opinion. Good to know. No, that, ma- that makes sense. Yeah. It's with the, you know, sometimes the calendar dance is the hardest part, right? Just getting stuff scheduled and, 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 and getting access to the people to do the process, right? Mm-hmm. Because the it business, it, the, it's, you know, the on the bit work on the business in the business yep. thing, right? The, what you're doing is all about on the business stuff. If everybody's just totally hundred percent in the business, you never get to this stuff, right? Exactly. Yeah. So for yourself, um, you know, cause this, what you do can be, you know, lawyer, MA, psychiatrist, psychologist, you know, a lot of hats, right? And it can get emotional. I mean, you're in it. How do you get away from work and get your own equilibrium? Um, Well, I'm an outdoors person, right? And frankly, it's because when I'm not grinding or or writing plans or doing this stuff, I want to be outside. Um, 
so I, I, am a big, it's kind of funny. I love to, um, I love to be on the water. I'm a water sports fan. Okay. I love to be in the woods. Um, I'm a big kayaker. And, um, uh-huh. the other passion that I have this kind of thing is, I, you know, my wife and I got into organic gardening actually quite a few years ago. So I enjoy growing my own vegetables. It's kind of fun too. Neat. Neat. It's not a true sort of switch from, you know, boardrooms, meetings, conference rooms to that exposure to nature and being in it. That's, that's, that's neat. So I guess that, that kind of goes to my next question, which is, but the, this might be more the business side, like where, so where do you turn on this, on this, you know, kind of, you know, tightly held subject area, where do you turn for ideas and inspiration to keep yourself sharp and objective as you, as you guide these businesses that are looking to do these um, clean exits or continuity succession plans? Yeah. So there's two, um, there are two relatively well-known national exit planning organizations that I'm happy to mention um, who are, you know, where I got my certifications from. And um, they're both very different. They have different approaches, but I use them both um, to the extent that I can for content, for knowledge, for training and development. And also because it creates a whole network, a national network of exit planning advisors. Um, And so, you know, Business Enterprise Institute or otherwise known as BEI uh, out of Denver, Colorado is, in my opinion, still probably one of the best in terms of content. Okay. Um, that's where I went first for my, my initial certification and their program I found to be really robust. It was like a nine month, um, you know, MBA program, so to speak on exit planning. Um, the other organization more well-known is exit planning Institute or EPI. And they also have a exit planning certification. That's pretty decent. Um, I think EPI is a little better on process and I would say BEI was better on content. Hmm. Um, and so I, I feel fortunate that I've had a chance to go through both of those and candidly, the program, the process that I utilize today is really kind of a modified version of both. So I tried to take the best of both of those organizations in creating my own platform that we use at Absolute. No, I'm, I'm really glad you brought those up. And I mean, this is one-on-one me to you, but because I'm not familiar with them. And I think it's maybe my own bias against that word exit. I mean, look, the one thing we know, we're death and taxes, right? I mean, we're all going to exit the earth at some point. But when, you know, exiting a business, to some people that's retiring, to some people it's then becoming of counsel or of, you know, emeritus chair of the board or some involvement. But I I've been rigid, like think, I think, I think exit as in sale and the business is no more, but you've explained it better that it's, it's, it's really just, you know, it's, it's a word attached to kind of somebody moving into a next phase and other people moving into a phase. Well, it's interesting you mentioned that Jamie, because I I had a problem with it too. And that's most of the vernacular. If you go to my website or you read my stuff, I use the word transition. Yeah. It's a much better term. Um, the, the key distinction is this, you know, in the MA world that I lived in, in my prior life, a transaction was an event, right? Where liquidity event and an exit and all that yeah, stuff. Right. Yeah. It was very much, uh, well, transactional focused. It was, it was very, um, monetary focused. It was very, you know, hurry up, run and, and be done where in this environment, in the transition planning world, it's really about a process. It is truly a holistic process that takes anywhere from two to five years. 
And so it evolves, right? It um, it's not something that's that's done quickly. It's something that sure. takes time. And, yeah. I, and I think the so the outcomes are much better for business owners, right? Because they have time to pause, they have time to reevaluate, they have time to, you know, because most of our clients, frankly, um, even though their goals and objectives remain the same throughout the process, but how we get there, yes, and the people involved in it always takes a left turn. And I, I was just visually attaching some things to that word exit that are different than they have to be. I mean, they say, you know, the day you sell your business is the day, you know, it stops being your business. I mean, you know, then it's, I mean, then it's somebody else's business. But if that exit means that the next generation is now running the business and you have a different role or you're now not involved, you, the, the legacy of that business still continues and that right. so it doesn't have to be like it all goes into the, the wash. Um, what, what just this is a bigger, broader question, you know, because again, we're in the you know, BEI, EPI is very industry, your world specific, bigger, you know, just in the world of business, like what brands or businesses do you admire that have had a long runway and have, whether they're public, private, whatever, you just felt, wow, they really dealt with this stuff well. Yeah. Well, there's a couple that come to mind, you know, um, look at the the Meyer family in Grand okay. Rapids, great example. Okay. Um, arguably, maybe the Fords, right? I don't know. Everybody yeah. has a feeling about that. Um, there are a lot of great flagship family uh, enterprises that have gone three or sometimes cool. four, four or five generations. And so those are great. To, those are super not, case studies. I, I keep up. I have no business relationship with them. I use their products, but I watch the Smuckers organization. I yep. think it's done a wonderful job. Yeah. Yep. Of yep. culture, family, longevity, and innovation and competitive, you know, all those things. Yeah. Um, so no, that's, I think it's always cool to kind of have that, like those, those reference points. Um, so as, you know, again, let's talk about, you know, you, John Carter and absolute succession. Is there anything that I forgot to ask you about that? I mean, this, this is a, you can do 30 minutes on this or 30 hours, you know, <laughs> I mean, it's a, mm-hmm. it's, it's a big, it's a big subject area when you're talking about, you know, finding that, um, as you call it, the question number three, the ideal successor and working through all that. But, but you know, one last thing I should have asked you about kind of either strategically or tactically. Well, you know, one of the things that I guess I always try to press upon people is that, again, this is a, a process, not an event, number one. So you have to leave yourself time, right? You can't okay. do this in a bubble in a six-month period. You have to leave yourself time. So that's one thing I would press. The other thing that always is an issue, regardless of what transfer scenario we're looking for, whether it's a family transfer or it's an ESOP or a sale to an outside party, the other thing that people always have to remember is it's always about building uh, what we call transferable value in their organization. They have to have that business infrastructure. They have to create that culture and those systems and processes and procedures that will be sustainable and continue without the owner. And again, it's a very simple concept to understand, but it's very hard to do. Sure. Yeah. So no, it's a really good, really, yeah. really good point. And I mean, we're our, our company, we're kind of embracing the EOS to help us yep. plan, grow, be more efficient, all those kind of things. And there's, there's some, as, as the British planners would say, there's some process that comes with that. So <laughs> yeah, yep. we get it. So for those that want to contact you, John and, 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 or your colleagues at Absolute Succession, 
what's the 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 best way? I mean, because you're you've got a little bit of a content machine. What's the best way for them to find you? Is it an email? Is it on Twitter? Is it what what's what do you well we're we're on LinkedIn. Um okay. that's our primary social account. You can reach us at LinkedIn or certainly, you know, reach out to us. Uh I answer my emails. And I even take calls, so I'm happy to talk to people. Uh, this is my my passion, my business passion in life. So I would, you know, suggest and recommend if people want to reach out to me by way of email, that would be great. Uh, or they can even, uh, you know, g- shoot me a call if they'd like. Super. I mean, do you want to give that email address here? Or yeah. You so to- yeah, they can reach me at uh, John J O H N at AbsoluteSuccession.com. Super. Um, or they can reach us at 248-935-7207. Yeah, no, I, I mean, I really appreciate you taking the time to help those people in whatever seats they're in, um, you know, both prepare the business, prepare themselves, and then prepare the other people for the, the you know, it's a journey, right? I mean, it's, and, 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 and I know from personal experience is we've gotten wise, smart, level-headed counsel along the way to deal with some of these things, it's helped us. Um, mm-hmm. And as, as someone who's in the professional services business, I can always advocate for people getting help from professionals, but uh, it makes, it makes some sense. So again, John Carter, I thank you for doing this. I, I've, I've, I've learned some things. We may, we may be a future episode because you threw a couple more acronyms out there at the end yep. that could themselves be, be uh, we could kind of dig into and do a whole show on. So thanks yep. again. No, I appreciate it. Thank you, Jamie. Thank you for listening. Special thanks to Sam Daly, Eric Head, and Joel Bienenfeld at SMZ for helping make Generation Excellence, well, excellent. Until next time, I'm Jamie Michelson.